That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Thanks for joining us for another week of Take Two. We are recording on a Thursday. This is September 2nd. I can't believe we are already to September. We're shaking it up and doing it a little differently today. Greg Hughes is off. We needed a break from him. Instead, we have Senator Kirk Cullimore joining us and then later Mara Carabello. So we're doing them separate time frames. We'll edit them together and you'll hear, hear them back to back. But no fighting amongst themselves today. Senator, thanks so much for being with us. You're a busy guy, so thanks for coming in. Yeah, thanks for having me, Heidi. So for people who don't know much about you, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself, your family, and why you do what you do. Sure. So I am the state senator for District 9, which is primarily Sandy. So that's where we live and raise our family. I've got six kids, and you know I'm an attorney. So besides being in the state senate and attending to my law practice, I spend a lot of time doing music lessons and soccer games and all of that. And so um, that, that keeps us busy, but it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, not a lot of spare time. So thank no. you for being with us. There's always so much to tackle. And one thing that I wanted to talk to you about, uh, Greg, even though he wasn't here, he said, you've got to talk to Kirk Cullimore. He's got a bill going on right now, and I can see it on the state website. I can see that the title's COVID-19 liability amendments, but can't see a lot after that. What are you working on, and what do you think needs to be changed right now with how we're doing things during the pandemic? Yeah, thanks for asking. So this, uh, of course, at this point, it's just an expected bill. Like you said, we don't even have any language or anything. It's all conceptual right now. But um, COVID, and, and it's not going to necessarily be specific to COVID, but COVID has highlighted the potential for employers or businesses or places of public accommodation to not just suggest certain medical treatments, but to actually mandate these procedures. And so what this does potentially is, is addresses what are the legal liabilities and what's the legal framework for this. You know, this is new, uncharted territory to a degree, you know, uh, as a lot of this past year and a half has been. And so what, what does it look like if places do require this uh, a vaccine, for example, but it could, be, it could be anything, you know, it's a COVID vaccine today, but what could it be tomorrow? And so the bill is going to suggest that if an employer or a place of public accommodation mandates a certain medical procedure and then an employee or a consumer or an attendee or whatever has an adverse reaction to whatever that medical procedure is, there may be some legal liability for the, for the business that mandated that. Um, why did you decide this was something that needed to be done? Is this just something you see as an attorney that could be an issue, or are you hearing from people concerned because they're saying, I have to do this, I don't want to, or I had a reaction, I had to quit my job? What are you hearing? Yeah, it's a little bit of all of the above, right? And so we're starting to see this creep into Utah. Um, we've, we've seen public officials suggest that private business should start mandating this type of stuff. And so there's questions, you know, I get questions from business owners, like, what, what does this mean? Do I need to do this? Or is there going to be legal liability? But then I talk to friends and neighbors and constituents who are concerned about, you know, am I going to be forced to do this or potentially lose a job? And then you have to think even broader, you know, if, if, if a grocery store in rural Utah says you got to do this, and that's really the only place you can shop in that town, do you really have any alternatives? And so what, 
you know, what is this new world that we're coming into? And we need to, we need to set up the legal structure for it. And I think that's the big question for people right now, because when you think about risk, you think if there's risk, there's got to be choice. And during the current pandemic, there's risk if you get COVID. There's also risk if you take the vaccine. And you can decide for yourself in most occasions right now which risk you want. But we're seeing more businesses and schools requiring them. The one thing that Utah has that a lot of other states don't have right now is you can still um, choose not to get a vaccine if you sign the waiver um, for our, our schools, and that is not just religious, but you can have philosophical or medical reasons. Some of these businesses, though, it doesn't sound like to me like they're allowing those uh, things that you would have if you were going to school. Right. At this point, there's not really any consideration for any of that sort of stuff. It, it, it seems like the, a lot of the mandates are just kind of blanket mandates. And the concern that I have is, you know, historically businesses have not in, been in the business of telling people what they have to do, and we're not going to serve you unless you do X, Y, and Z. Um, and so this isn't necessarily taking away that freedom, but it's just saying if you start having these mandates, you got to think about what what the consequence is. So if if a, a grocery store or a theater or whatever who is not in the healthcare business starts saying you have to take this medical procedure, well then. Anytime you make a business decision, there's legal consequences that follow, and we don't really know what those are right now, so this bill would potentially start setting up that framework and saying, you may have some liability if you do this, and, and the easiest way to avoid this, just don't mandate. Have you talked to any Democrats who are saying, hey, I'll sign on to your bill right now? I, I don't have any volunteers to sign on to it just yet, but maybe that's in the works. Still in the early stages. Yep. Uh, well, speaking of caucuses, uh, I know that when you finish up with us in a few minutes, you're headed to speak to the governor this afternoon. He met uh, with the House caucuses yesterday. Today he's meeting with the Senate, and he wants to form a committee to make decisions. And right now I'm looking from the outside in, and it feels like in the pandemic there's a lot of pressure if you're in politics to make the decisions that people put you in office want or – other people, I mean, there's very differing views on what should be done during this pandemic. There's a lot of pressure, and it's probably not fun to make those decisions. And it seems to me like everyone right now doesn't want to be the decision makers. The legislature said, okay, cities and counties can make it. The governor's like, I want to make a decision, it sounds like, but I don't know if I can. So I'm talking to the legislature again. Is there a good balance going on right now, or is this a hot potato that no one wants to touch and no one wants to own? Well, from my perspective, I think that's a good balance, right? Because at the end of the day, with this type of stuff, we're talking about, we've seen over the past year and a half, government powers that we've never really contemplated or really seen in, the recent, in our recent history. And so, you know, I think the proper role of government here is let's, let's assess the data. Let's put the data before the people. Let's let them make the decisions. And maybe, you know, maybe that's the right approach is – Let's compile the data because this health department and, you know, on the federal level, the, uh, the CDC and all that are going to have numbers that we can analyze and assess and then present that to the public and then let, let them make their best decision. Because I think at the end of the day, that's what we're seeing now anyways, right? Mm -hmm. There are suggestions, but people are going to do what they think is rational for them based on the data that they're assessing and, frankly, the anecdotal stuff that they see every day, their life experiences. And that's okay. That's, that's America. Absolutely. And part of what America is, is living in the social media world right now. And I feel like I have to just turn it off sometimes. But the thing that seems to be trending in the last couple of days since the governor held his news conference talking about hospital beds being full, it sounded to me like he was trying to find the middle ground where he was saying, you know, there's probably somewhere in between the never maskers and I think he called them extreme maskers. 
Did he make a mistake saying that, you know, maybe it was okay to find some middle ground because there's a lot of people out there mad right now saying, I'm an extreme masker because fill in the blank. Well, the masking obviously is a very polarizing issue, right? And so, you know, maybe finding a middle ground is right because I think we're at a point where we're not going to appease either either side, right? At, but at the end of the day, everybody just wants the same thing. We want the public health to improve. We want to be able to address this. And so, a- again, I would default to let's let's present the data and let people make the choices. If you're if you're adamant that a mask is going to protect you, then then you should mask up. But uh, there's a lot of people that are going to make rational decisions for themselves and their families why they don't think a mask is necessary. And they can base that on data. They can base that on experience. They can base it on the fact that they're vaccinated or they've already had COVID. There's a myriad of very logical and valid reasons why people want to mask or don't want to mask. And maybe government should stay out of it at this point. You've got six kids. Are most of them in school right now? Uh, they are, yep. Are you worried about them this year? There's been some surveys coming out saying that parents are even more worried this year than they were last year. Are you saying, okay, kids need to be in school. I'm glad they're back. I'm, I'm happy that school is in person. It's, it's a much better experience this year than last year already. My kids are feeling more engaged. Um, I'm getting that same response from a lot of parents that I deal with and uh, a lot of constituents. There are, of course, those who, who still oppose what's going on, but I you know, I'm happy with the way things are going, the process that's been set up. Um, I'm comfortable. I mean, I, frankly, I think my family has already had COVID, so, you know, that doesn't concern me as much. And so I'm, I'm okay with what's happening right now, and the process has been laid out, and I think we've seen it work in multiple counties throughout our state. One thing that sounds like it may not be working is we rem- remember we had all, all these test sites a year ago when people were getting sick. We're hearing from a lot of people that they're waiting in line for hours or don't know where to go. Is this something the legislature can help with to get testing up and running again, or how do we fix that problem? Well, and again, that, that might be a good good way for government to step in, but I think we need to look beyond just the traditional approach that we've taken for the past year and a half. You know, we've, we've done the testing, we've done the masks, we've done the vaccines. Well, what else is there now? We've had a year and a half to analyze this. There's other treatments. You know, there's very valid treatments. The uh, I'm, I'm not a doctor and forget how to say it, but basically the antibody treatment. And a... I've, monoclo- is it monoclonal? Monoclonal, yeah, monoclonal yes. I think, yes. Antibodies, yes. That, that seems to be effective in other parts of the world and other parts of the country. You know, if we're going to invest some more money into addressing this, maybe we need to be looking a little bit broader than the remedies that we've, you know, exclusively used so far. And if you go and test positive, let's, let's send you right out and start, start getting treatment right away. You know, we've, we've seen that a lot of these treatments, if treated early, can prevent hospitalizations. Yeah, and I think one of the big problems is no one likes to think that money is a problem, but money is always involved in things. And when you read up about pharmaceutical companies, all of their money and all the eggs are in the basket of, right now, the vaccines. And so there's not a lot of desire from those same companies that may have drugs in their stockpile from other years in past that could possibly work, but there's no desire to push them because there's no money to be made off them. And I think that's one of the concerns people talk about is that we're not looking at all of our options because we're looking at finances right now. Yeah, I think, I mean, you can read stuff all over the web right now, right? But, but I, think that's, I think that's a very valid concern, and, and I think that may be precluding us from looking at other forms of treatment and other options to address this pandemic, for sure. Absolutely. I talked to my doctor, and they said the concern right now is that you can go get tested right now. You can find out you're positive, but you're not supposed to go to a doctor's office. There's really not much they can tell you to treat with, at least the FDA or the CDC is approving right now. So your option is to go home after you've been tested positive positive 
and then go to the hospital if it gets really bad and we don't have that in between of how to care for patients. So definitely a big concern for people. Yeah, and it's not uncommon that we use already FDA FDA-approved drugs for off-label reasons. And so we need to be looking at that. I, I believe the monoclonal antibody treatment has emergency use authorization at this point, which has been the same for the vaccines for the past several months. And so, you know, I think it, I think it would not be wise to not look at those other options and, you know, and pursue those. Absolutely. Okay, we know we have to get out the door soon. So rapid fire here. Uh, congestion is a problem in our canyons as people are trying to go skiing. We know it's getting busy. It's popular. The Salt Lake County Mayor, Jenny Wilson, uh, just yesterday said she doesn't like the gondolas. She doesn't like the buses. She wants UDOT to start from scratch. UDOT is going to make a decision. They'll listen to what she said. Do you have a feeling one way or the other that you feel is best? You kind of live in that direction? Yeah, well, this is my backyard. This is home, right? And so it it certainly needs to be addressed. And, you know, I think the process has been working. Uh, UDOT has done some environmental impact studies and... You know, I'm excited about the direction that it's going. Is it going to be the panacea to all problems? No, but, um, you know, I like the gondola idea. I think as far as, like, the environmental impact, it has a very minimal impact on the environment as opposed to expanding road, which I know Mayor Wilson was not for expanding roads, but we've got to do something. And so I think it will I, – I think it will actually alleviate a lot of the concerns of the canyon because the – vast majority of the people trying to get up to the canyons are going to Snowbird and Alta, and this is going to drop them off at Snowbird and Alta, thereby leaving the rest of the canyon open to those who want to use it. And so I, I can be persuaded, but I'm excited about the gondola idea. It does sound exotic, too, and you can relax and not have a white-knuckle drive. Uh, definitely uh, paying close attention to that. One other thing that we're watching here in Utah, uh, the whole world, I think, is looking at Texas right now. Their abortion ban, a lot of people didn't think it was going to go through. The Supreme Court uh, chose not to make a decision on that. Will the decision that was made in Texas have a domino effect where the Utah legislature looks at something similar, or will they watch and wait and see what happens in Texas? You know, I think that we'll probably see something this year just because I've been in the legislature for three years and it seems like we have uh, bills every year that address abortion. But we, we recently passed a bill that bans abortion after 18 weeks with the intent that we were going to kind of take a wait-and-see approach because Mississippi has uh, a bill that's being litigated and is before the Supreme Court that they have not yet addressed. And as I understand it, I haven't really looked at it yet, but the Supreme Court decision recently on the Texas bill was more procedural based on the pending litigation with Mississippi. And so I think we take a wait-and-see approach. Um, I probably expect that there will be a bill, you know. Uh, Utah has definitely voted, and and the laws have passed that substantiate that we are a pro-life community and value the sanctity of life, and I do as well. And so, but I think let's, let's wait and see how this goes. I know a lot of people say it's a waste of money when states like Utah are going after this when other bills are out there or it's already at the Supreme Court. Would you agree, or is it worth it just to put your name and your voice on the record? That, that's a good question. You know, every year up at the legislature, it seems like we take on kind of symbolic-type bills. And so I, I think sometimes it's appropriate to take a stance and to, to be a part of the voice or to be a part of the movement. Um, but, but sometimes we've got to take a, a step back and say, okay, is this the best way to spend taxpayer dollars? And so, you know, I think we've taken a pretty strong stance on, on the pro-life issue. And so for this particular issue, I'm okay and comfortable waiting and seeing how this goes. You know, with Dan McKay's bill last year and the ban on at 18 years or 18 weeks, I think we're at a good place right now. And 
maybe it's time to let's see how this plays out. All right. We will be watching that closely. I know you have an important meeting with the governor, and I don't want to be in trouble for making you late. So thank you so much. We'll have you in again sometime soon. All right. Thank Thanks you, Thanks so much. We are back with part two of Take Two this week. We're doing it a little different because everyone is so crazy busy. Mara Carabello is in studio. She's already had a crazy day. So thank you so much for being with us. Nice to be here. Yeah. We have so many important people in here that are always running from one thing to another. So thanks for making it time for me. It sounds that I have to follow a state senator. So Well, you're Mara Carabello. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so thank you for being here. I feel like the topics slightly change by week, just same kind of issues, different week. So true. Rinse and repeat. But uh, Kirk Colomar, when I finished talking to him, was running up to the governor's office, which I think I probably made him late for. <laughs> and uh, he was headed up there for a meeting. Yesterday, the House members, both right. caucuses, met with the governor. And now the Senate's meeting with them. I think they were all kind of going into this wondering, is the governor going to ask us a big ask? Is there something that we're going to leave with? And he's going to say, this is what I'm putting on your plate. And what I talked to um, State Senator Kirk Colomar about was, you know, what do you want to accomplish? And his thing is, I don't really know what we want to accomplish. It's good to sit down and talk. But there's a lot of, it feels like to me right now, whether you're the governor or the legislature or the school districts, no one really wants to be the decision maker. People want decisions made, but they don't want the one to be the decision maker. And so that's where we have these meetings, it feels like, going on. Is that the feeling you get where oh, everyone's I think meeting together to say, okay, who can <laughs> right. be the one that says you're grounded? Right. I think that was just a, such a good description of what's going on. No one wants to be the decision maker. And on one hand, you know, I, 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 I'm prone to want to criticize that, hey, you were elected, and the very job you were elected to is decision making. And on the other hand, boy, could this be more complicated and the second someone makes a decision, they are going to be in the hot seat. There are two passionate sides, and they are both active. And so I think that's true. I think there, there is a little match going on with the uh, governor wanting to have, see more action and not being necessarily in the position to, well, to implement it from a policy perspective, although he does have the bully pulpit. And from what I'm hearing behind the scenes is that that his conversations with both the House and Senate, they are not too keen on taking an action. And that's what it sounds like to me. So they're going to end up um, making a committee. He didn't ask them to put a mask mandate, though, yesterday into place. Right. The Senate's going to be talking today. Although it did sound like yesterday when I spoke to a couple people after the meeting with the House that they had some ideas. So there are ideas coming out of this where possibly, let's say, a school made it to the 2% or whatever their threshold was, that there could be an automatic mask mandate that kind of went into place then where it was kind of a stopgap where, like, okay, people are getting sick, let's mask up, and then kind of put a pause on things and see how things go. Yeah, and that seems to be the new latest content for this week, right? As you said, with same issue, um, yeah. what's the difference? The difference this week seems to be that as we were almost at the very beginning of this the last cycle we did with, an in, with the, the intense numbers, uh, that people are wanting to affix thresholds and numbers to actions. And, you know, it, it's not a bad idea, and it also maybe solves the earlier problem you said about making a decision. I mean, it sort of punts the decision to the numbers. And I know a lot of us are every day watching the case climbing, and it really is right now. I mean, it is it is on fire. And so I'm hearing the same thing that they might go to a device system where an action will be predicated on a case count or a threshold. Yes, yeah, so we're watching that closely. So we'll see if the Senate has any different ideas 
obviously it's an emotional time even before today, but we found out just a few minutes ago, actually, after I finished speaking to Senator um, Cullimore, we found out that among the deaths today that were reported, there were 12 deaths, and one of them is a pediatric case in a teenage girl between the ages of 12 and 17. And I think that that just brings to the forefront more that it is possible we have had one other pediatric death in what sounds like a child who possibly had some serious underlying conditions. And this is the first case we've had in Utah where it's a seemingly healthy child who was lost to this awful virus that we have all had enough of. And so I think we're going into this where I think there's going to be even more emotion now and people saying, see, we need masks, we need these vaccine mandates. Should this drive decision-making or should we not get more emotional for, from something like this? You I know, know it's hard to talk about. I mean, we can't help, but I, what I hope we do, what I've been trying to do is separate um, the humanity. Don't Let's all collectively share the humanity of it. Let's not decide that I care more than you because that's what the political battle does, right? And so I think we should all share the responsibility of mourning these losses and the fear of it and... Uh, what I see happening is we're we're sort of disagreeing about our humanity, and I want us. To, I hope we can stop that. That we can all know we equally are concerned about the death. We're equally mourning that it's so hard to see a young person um, have their life taken away too too soon. And then if we can separate and let us all be equally humane and equally caring and equally loving, and let's move this to more of a policy discussion where right now it's just passions, yeah. right? I think it's passions and, and they're used. I, I, I would hate to see any death used um, in a way. And, and you're seeing the pressure. I mean, I, maybe we'll talk for a second about the governor did a rare gaffe in, in many people's yes, opinions, Yes, and before right? we move on to yeah. that, though, I, I think it's so important what you said about the humanity because I was already looking on, I tweeted the story just maybe 15 minutes ago about this young girl, and people already saying, I'm so angry or I'm angry at her parents. And I just don't know how that helps because, right. like you said, everyone's making their best decisions they can. I know very few parents out there that don't care about their children and right. have their best interests at heart where they made a decision and they took the risks, you know, factored in the risks and they thought they were doing the best for their child. So yeah. obviously can we learn from mistakes? Can we learn from what happens on this side or this side? Yes, but I just don't know how anything but having empathy for these families is the thing to do right now. Well, and even the passion and argument hopefully is coming from compassion. I, I'll say, I mean, I don't relate to one side of the argument as well as I do to the other, but I have no doubt they don't, that they care, right? Absolutely. And we have to stop that. We have to stop thinking that people are stupid and that they don't care and that they have a different value system. Um, and that's what's so hard about this. And I think if we could get it right, that we still cared about each other, then there's still That's the biggie. plenty of stuff to argue about, I think, in this. So let's get to the governor. He held the news conference, and I think he was really trying to get the emotion out there this week right. because our hospitals were full. And like you said, a bit of a gaffe, and uh, people are going to town on social media. Sometimes social media, I just want to turn it <laughs> off because I'm like, okay, everybody, take a deep <laughs> breath. But he said the anti-maskers and the extreme maskers – we just all need to get over ourselves a little bit and try to have a little bit of common sense here. And I can see what he was going for. He was trying to talk to both sides and be like, okay, you, some people are wearing six masks inside their car alone, and some people are like, I'll never wear a mask, not over my dead body kind of thing, just saying, okay, let's take a deep breath and let's be reasonable here. But I don't know if it played as well as he was hoping. 
No, I don't think it played well at all for anybody, actually, interestingly enough. There's a lot of extreme maskers calling themselves online now. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. And it was part of it was just such a notable term, right? I was like, did yeah, you just say extreme, extreme masker? I'm like, am I am extreme? Like, does that mean I'm wearing double? Like, what's the definition? So I, it was a rare moment for him because he is such a good communicator. Um, it's also, I'm going to just say, the reason you can't stay in the middle for too long, right? And bless him for doing it. I, I, I One of the things I like about our governor is he's, he's a peacemaker. He's a centrist. But this, I think, showed a little bit of the early, the conversation we just had two minutes ago in which it's like you may need to be a decision. You may need to come down on one side or the other, and he was trying to um, split the difference. I, I also think it it was an, a rare gaffe, too, because the juxtaposition of he was introducing the next speaker who was the head of IHC and our Intermountain Healthcare, and, and uh, Mark Harrison came up and sort of very definitively disagreed with that there is such a thing as extreme maskers. I mean, he really threw down that yeah. masks work, and, and, and I think some of it was the later conversation that the governor did. That he, he seemed to bring doubt to the efficacy of masking, um, which I think was the other sort of weird part about yeah. his discussion. I think some people agree with him, but but I think that and was And there the has part. been questions about it, you know, yeah. do, and I think there's been a lot of research showing that the medical masks that a lot of us are wearing work, but maybe the cloth masks don't work as well. And so I think that's right. where the nuances come in of do masks really work? And so mm-hmm. I see where he was going with it. Totally. But yeah, sometimes you can't make everybody happy. And when you try to make everybody happy, you make everybody angry. Right. And willing to just maybe stay on our theme. We're in a brutal place, too, where I think he made a well-intended mistake. And boy, are we all just jumping on I know. Him. Can we all just take a chill <laughs> pill? That's what I was thinking yesterday because I was looking at Twitter. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, everyone just take a deep breath. Right. Just breathe, breathe heavier if you've got three masks on. Like, get in a good breath. Yeah, yeah. if you're an extreme masker, take it off for a minute, take or a just, deep breath. If you're not a masker, then, you then know. Just breathe in the smoke or whatever's happening. But, yes, it just seems like – Yeah. And I feel like people right now, whether we're talking about the governor or the president – everyone's just waiting for them to make a misstep so they could just eat him alive. I've mm-hmm. seen so many memes with the president looking at his watch after um, he was standing there during the dignified transfer. And I think that people were literally watching for him to like blink or sigh or look away or anything just to go after him. And I think the same thing here where it's just like waiting for someone to say something that you can make a cartoon out of or make a meme out of and then eat them alive. Yeah, I mean, I may spend too much time right now on this thing that I have. This is one of my soapboxes that I think this behavior that when we jump on our leaders, we're really reinforcing the notion of them doing nothing or taking this incrementalist step. And in the long run, we don't want people who won't make decisions. And so I think if we're judging our leaders, we judge them on how inclined they are to make decisions. And then perfect thing to judge on is the assessment of that the measurability of that decision and do they pivot when they made the decision but we are waiting and reinforcing people who almost do nothing because that's that's where we don't criticize almost anything is subject to extreme criticism it is so true and there's a reason most of us are not in politics it's not an easy job i don't know that i want to be the decision makers so uh, we do thank them for their efforts in their ability to try and make decisions. So good luck to you guys in that meeting right now as you're trying to make decisions for us. Speaking of decisions on a totally different topic, uh, yesterday I was a little surprised. um, County Mayor Jenny Wilson came out and said, 
no thanks to UDOT's plans on both plans for the canyons. And if you go skiing or you head up there in the winter, you know how crazy it can be on a snow day when you go up there and you're waiting for hours to get down the canyon or up the canyon. So they're trying to figure out, you know, what's best. Do we, you know, widen the roads? Do we need more buses? Do we need a gondola system? And she said, hard pass on both. Ultimately, it comes down to UDOT. But uh, was this the right decision for her to say, you know, none of these are right for Salt Lake County right now? Or is this just not cooperating with something where we have to make a decision of some kind? Yeah, so I'm going to lead into this by first saying, hey, I'm not neutral on this issue. I think gondola is the path we should take. So I want to disclose that. But let me just follow on what I just said. I do not think that no decision is leadership. And uh, Mayor Wilson taking a pass on this is a mistake, not having an opinion, and then vision is not incremental. So her proposal is sort of let's do a little bit more of what we've already been doing. And I think that uh, from most points of view, including UDOT's point of view, I think that a no decision is really the only thing we can't do. So this issue has been around since before we were all born. I mean, this conversation about transportation solutions. And, um, and it's not going to get better. No, and, and those who say do nothing aren't giving credence to the fact that UDOT, who is really an analysis group at this level, at the you know, at this level of UDOT, they've got two and a half years on this issue. They started out with some like 130 or 65 options. They narrowed it down to five. They've been through three public comment periods. So second only to Legacy Highway, this issue has received more public comment than in the history of UDOT. Interesting. So when when I hear people say we need to study it more, I'm just, you get a big old eye roll from me because that's that inertia of not having the courage to handle and tackle things. So whichever team you're on, team bus or team gondola, you're looking at UDOT who studied it for a uh, two and a half years, they're studying the environmental study of it, so it's multidimensional. It's it's not only about traffic, but it's about this this canyon that we all are loving to death. And I think it is time to make a decision because what we know is, you know, we've we've listened to sev- several years of boy, we're going to grow, we're going to double by twenty. 50 or 2060, depending on what you're listening to. Oh boy, you growth is coming, growth is coming. Here's what we're operating in. Growth is here. Growth is not coming, growth is here. We're overusing our resources. And the more we delay and kick the can down the road on decision highway. Yeah. Then we have then it's already not working and yeah. we're just triaging it. And so like sprawl is a triage event and Bangor Highway and intersections where you're thinking who the heck did this intersection I feel like that's where we are in this decision um we're going we are doing damage arguably now so I will say tomorrow last day you can go to UDOT and vote on it but you have two choices um bus or gondola I, for me gondola is the most environmentally friendly choice it's the most long term I love big ideas and I love big thinking and I think gondola fits that well, I wish I had you two in the same room at the same time, because this could be our kumbaya moment. Oh, good. Because okay. Senator Colomar is a gondola <laughs> kind of guy, too. And I have not studied the issue I read on it. I don't think I've studied it to the extent where I can have, like, a really educated decision. But I like the idea of just kind of the cool gondola idea, too. Sure. I feel like it's very Sweden, or I don't know what. It I'm is. Like, it's Sounds very fancy. <laughs> we, and we need we little get a little fancy here. I know. So yeah. hopefully if you get in there and it seats 12, you find another party that you can get along with that's, all the way up the mountain. <laughs> right keep writing (laughs) absolutely so um definitely interesting issues we're going to switch to a totally different topic here um i asked senator uh, colomore about this to the abortion ban in texas everyone's really talking about this because we know that 
nothing just happens in Texas and nothing just happens in Utah. Oftentimes the legislative bills that come out, um, you see them copied and pasted, whether it's the Republicans or Democrats across other states. So the question is, now that Texas has passed the most restrictive uh, ban on abortions at the six-week mark or close to that, like a heartbeat bill, does Utah get on board too because they want to put their voices and their names on this even though there's not much they can do to change things right now? The U.S. Supreme Court's going to be looking at the Mississippi bill and several others. Where do you stand on this? Is this something that should be talked about because we should be an important part of this conversation or do we just wait for the Supreme Court to rule and say, enough's enough this is what stands roe v wade or right. something new well i mean i would I, I would tell us not to expend resources because as you suggested there are two or three test balloons already out there but i don't think that's going to happen so i've broken this down into several things i'm watching that are happening at the same time but they're slightly different and one is what you started with which is i believe this is an orchestrated concerted effort on um the anti-abortion side and uh, which which i don't say indicting i'm just saying it's a conscientious effort in which they're trying to get tests that can start working their way up to the supreme court as you suggested mississippi who previously had i want to say a fifth week ban or something like that yeah theirs was closer to where Utah's was right the latest bill that was passed and I thought the interesting thing about Texas was there was no room for negotiation in there because of rape that's or right. incest that's right and a couple of extremes and I want to talk about one other dimension that goes beyond abortion to Texas which will make the Texas test really interesting so um we're we're seeing that the Supreme Court took a pass on intervening with the Texas um, law, but it shouldn't be confused with they opined one way or the other about the constitutionality, right? They just said, this point in the process, we're not going to intervene. So they're going to let the Texas law go into effect. But the Texas law is one of the most unique laws I've seen in that someone has decided that the the distinction in this law is that the state will, in fact, not enforce the abortion laws, but in fact, individuals will. Oh, yes, the self-policing So this is really fascinating. So um, take what you have about abortion aside, and this is where we need to be careful when we are litigating passion issues, right? So what more passionate issue there is there than abortion? Pros and cons, we've dug in, they're financed, they're funded. Yes. So let's put that aside and say, first, do no harm to our to our legal system, our constitutionality. And here's just an interesting question that I'm looking at as I looked at the Texas law that then says the, the go-around, if you will, the uniqueness of it is not only um, no rape or incest, which we've talked about before in other laws, but the uniqueness is they're saying individuals can enforce it and not people. So I want to take another hot issue and say, well, what if this what if this passes? And what if this law gets structured for guns? So let's say that New York City becomes anti-gun and they they do some intense movement that says, okay, you get to round up all your weapons. And oh, the state of New York won't um, won't it won't police that, but in fact, individuals can police, and you don't have the right to own a gun anymore, and the individuals can police. And so they can call up and right. give a tip line hotline That's and right. find you 10000 And they can go find you because we've just decided through our progressive legislature that we are going to round up all the guns. I use that issue to say on passion issues, we need to be careful that we are also holding intact our systems and so um, the Texas law has two components and one is what will this do to the abortion test and Roe v. Wade ultimately but also is 
is self-policing a good element to have on these topics? Uh, and that's different than the abortion. That's the technique of it. So what we know is they're going to put it into play. You know that'll get litigated. You know the Mississippi laws will get litigated. I am of the team that, unfortunately, I suspect that given um, the propensity, particularly of our AG, who's been very activist about political issues, I suspect he'll want to jump in to this. I don't think it's a good use of public funds. Um, I don't think that, well, I mean, I sort of think also the anti, the patriarchal, anti-feminist rhetoric here is really harmful to the dialogue, and I hope we stay out. I, I would be shocked if we stayed out. I think we will want to also float a test balloon. And we know there's a known strategy right now to have a bunch of test balloons that ultimately one of those variations on the theme, a lot of the strategy with the Supreme Court is having the right case in front of the Supreme Court. And we know that people are looking at what is the right case to, if you're anti-abortion, what's the right case to challenge abortion. So many divisive things in oh our country. Gosh. I know that we can so talk much. about forever. And um, we are out of time here. I'm trying to give you equal amounts of time in this Great. creative <laughs> podcast this week. But last week when we stopped recording, I did want to mention, as soon as we finished recording, we found out that one of those 13 Marines was Utah Staff Sergeant uh, Taylor Hoover. So our thoughts are with his family. We know they're working on funeral arrangements right now. And I hope that we can all find some common ground, especially as we come up on this anniversary in 9-11, to realize we're all part of the same big country and all want good things and want our families to thrive and our states and our happy communities and that we have more in common than we have different. And to that, I'll just add, Abby Cox, the first lady, is joining a national initiative where you can, um, to commemorate, it's been 20 years since 9-11, to commemorate that you could do a day of service. So as you guys are thinking about what to do in this time, where, as we've talked about, it's so divisive and it feels like so much is out of control. Maybe this is an area we can all just do our own service and put into action sort of the empathy we should feel at this time. I love the idea, and I think we can (laughs) all do that. Well, Mara, thank you so much, and hopefully we'll get us all in the same room the next time. Thank you.